Hello, Blackhawks fans. Welcome back to the Four Feathers Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani. I'm joined today by the elusive Patrick Comiskey. Makes his return to Four Feathers. It's the middle of the day. Not cracking him yet, but let's get caught up on the Hawks. Patrick, welcome back, man. It has been way too long since we've had you on the show. Glad we were able to get a Saturday date so it didn't interfere with your work schedule. Um, good to have you back. How you been, man? Yeah, pretty good. You know, like you said, it has been a while. I feel like I can't even name the last one of these. I, I think the last one I did was like recapping uh, the 2010 rewind with like the uh, the comeback versus Nashville. So it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, happy to be back. Been doing pretty good. You know, work is obviously keeping me away from these. So that kind of sucks. But, you know, we got the weekends off and it's nice to jump back on here with you on one of these and uh, sh- shoot for, uh, you know, for a May 30th day we actually have a lot to talk about uh blackhawks wise hockey wise who would have thought that you know a couple months ago yeah exactly it was kind of a dead period so uh you know we were away for a little bit um we kind of you know got off schedule uh, on the 2010 rewind but we made a promise we want to do an episode after every round here um ron and tony took care of the minnesota round ron and i took care of the um Detroit round and Patrick and I at the end of this episode we're going to talk about the Western Conference final from 2013 against the Kings but before we get into that we have some news and since you're on the most recent episode I want to get your reaction Ron and I talked extensively about it but the return to play plan was put into place made official by Gary Bettman and the Blackhawks qualify last team in the West and what was your initial reaction thoughts on the whole NHL return to play plan Patrick yeah uh, I get it I seen, um, I heard on the radio that canceling the playoffs would, a lady from NHL.com and her name is kind of slipping away from me. I can't think of it, but she said, you know, the estimate for the NHL and the owners was that they would lose somewhere around a billion dollars if they didn't play out the playoffs with their TV deals and all that type of stuff. So I get it. I see why they're doing it. Um, I think it's a little cheap. I don't particularly like it. Um, I actually think it kind of looks a little bad because it's very, very blatant why they did uh, 24 teams. Because I think any normal person would tell you that 24 teams is way too much. And I think, and it's pretty obvious that they only did it because in the Western Conference, Team 12 is the Blackhawks. And in the Eastern Conference, Team 12 is the Montreal Canadiens. So, like, the NHL is pandering big time here. They're... uh, they want to get two of their bigger markets into the playoffs, get, you know, eyes, eyeballs on them. I get it. I understand it. It makes sense for their standpoint. I just think it kind of looks bad. And if I'm a team, well, shoot, if I'm a team like the Edmonton Oilers, if I'm a team, you know, like the Boston Bruins, um, I'm not happy about this. That's for sure. Um, I think all their routes to the cup just got a, a lot more difficult. There's, you know, 20, 24 teams. That's is that's a lot. I think it's I think it's just too many. Um, I think it's going to be a little weird. Um, hockey in empty stadiums is going to be beyond weird. Uh, not ready for that. Uh, and, you know, that's something that takes a little bit of a luster away from it, because I think one of the best things with the hockey playoffs is like pretty much no matter where you're playing. Most of these stadiums are pretty electric. There's a lot of energy. They're loud. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that plays into a lot of why playoff hockey is so great. And it's, it's going to be weird with, you know, you'll hear the stick crashing or you'll hear the puck ricocheting off the stick loud as can be. 
Um, I don't know how these TV networks are going to deal with, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of swearing picked up on these mics. <laughs> um, it, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. But uh, my initial reaction is that I, I, I feel a little uneasy about it. I'm sure I'll feel different when it starts uh, and the Hawks are in the playoffs, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, my initial reaction was, you know, I just I think it's a little bit cheap. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, the, those are all points that Ron and I kind of addressed. Um, you know, the, the big thing with the hold up there or not hold up, but uh, the pushback, you know, pretty much came from two teams and that being the Edmonton Oilers and the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, both who are five seeds in their respective conferences seated up against those two teams in for the market, essentially uh, in Chicago out West and um, the Montreal Canadiens out East and, you know, X factors in that, that is some of the, uh, you know, reasons that they listed for that. Patrick Kane, obviously with the Blackhawks, Carey Price, uh, one of the best goalies in the world over in Montreal. I know he hasn't been, as superb as his, you know, prime years, so to say, but he's still a damn good goalie. So uh, it's only a five game series. Yeah, it's only a five game series as well. So, um, you know, it's interesting. It's unprecedented. Obviously, they've never had to deal with a situation like this before, even in the lockout shortened season. It wasn't like, you know, it it never started. So you just clip off some of the regular season, then play it. And it was all, you know, even from the get go, whereas this some teams kind of, you know, get screwed uh, by who they have to play in the qualifying round is what they're calling it. So yeah, definitely interesting. But on the other hand, for us, uh, it's going to be great to have live sports back. And um, for us here at four feathers, uh, something to talk about, uh, you know, we Ron and I did a little bit of a way too early preview of the Edmonton series. I'm sure we will address that uh, more as we continue to do these episodes. So um, at least something to look forward to gives you a little bit of optimism when everything was really dead for all of April, pretty much. Uh, it's good to see the NHL be one of the first teams to have a plan in place. And uh, just the, the one thing commenting back on the 24 teams, I don't, I know, uh, excuse me, the NBA has not made anything official yet, but I, uh, it was flipping through the TV earlier today and I saw something and there's like, you know, the proposed, uh, you know, there's tons of proposals that come out and one of them was 22 teams. So it's like, oh, the NBA only felt they needed to do 22 teams, but the NHL had to do 24 to get those extra markets for the extra dollars. Um, it all comes back to that. So, um, interesting stuff. Nonetheless, Hawks are in the playoffs um, postseason, I guess you'd call it. Um, that's it's going to happen. So uh, we'll be here every step of the way, uh, recapping every game, uh, previewing stuff, and we'll have articles and podcasts about it over at ontapsportsnet.com. So um, let's move on a little bit of news related to this timeline here that we have. There are three phases of it. Um, we're technically still in phase one with the isolation being in place, but early June was when the um, you know, small group workouts uh, were supposed to, you know, teams be able to go back to their home facilities and work out a little bit. And then um, phase three would be the formal training camp. Um, and Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet had reported that the earliest uh, training camp will start is July 10th. They said no earlier than that. So we officially have that. You got to think training camps at least two weeks, I would guess three. Um, we're looking at a delayed start to the 2020-2021 season, Patrick. Absolutely. And um, that doesn't concern me as much because I think the NHL could probably benefit a little bit from delaying their start anyways, because right when they start they're you know, we're knee deep in the middle of the NFL season. No one wants to compete with the NFL. So a delayed start could actually help them a little bit. Like, you know, say they start um, start on Christmas, start on Christmas Day. And, you know, you'll have a big matinee thing. Obviously, you'll be competing with the NBA, but that's not as big as competing with the NFL. Um, jump in there. Um, and maybe maybe if that's something you like, you can continue doing it. 
Uh, I think the only problem with that would be you you really push your playoffs into into the summer. It goes it'd start going into July and all that. And I would imagine the ice in most arenas isn't going to hold up too well. So that would be a problem. But, you know, I, I think they can survive at least one year of, you know, delaying their start a little bit, have a short off season, probably twice around. But, uh, yeah, no, this is going to get started. I can't imagine this actual playoff thing getting started until at least August, maybe the middle of August, maybe even closer to September. Uh, you know, I, I seen the other thing, too, with all these guys who, uh, come back from Canada and cross the border. Uh, I think it's it's part of like this Canadian law and crossing between the U.S. and uh, Canadian border that they have to quarantine themselves for 14 days, whether they've been in contact with anyone or anything. So you know that's going to put a huge delay into it. You're going to have to find, you know, I'm sure there's, I would imagine there's a decent amount of players who return back home to Europe. Uh, you got to find ways to get those guys back. Obviously, you probably don't want them jumping on, you know, uh, commercial flights. I would imagine the NA, some of these NHL owners are going to have to fly their uh, planes over there and kind of pick them up in groups. Um, I would imagine they'd probably have to quarantine as well. Uh, you know, they're going to they'll at least be going through some sort of airport, getting on the plane with all these different players who knew, who knows where some of these guys were. So I, I just, I think there's a lot to think about and a lot to figure out. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, eh, like he's earliest the training camp starts as July 10th. That's going to have to be extended. This thing isn't going to get kicked off anytime soon because uh, like I was uh, discussing with someone on Twitter the other day, you know, they were because Gary Bettman named Chicago as a potential hub city. And someone was like, there's no way that's going to happen. Lightfoot's not going to let it happen. The city's not opening back up. Well, I don't think this thing's going to happen for at least a couple, two, three months. So you don't know what the landscape's going to look like then. Chicago might be open by then. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, all, all those factors that you just listed there, um, I've used it repeatedly. I'll say it again here um, on the last episode when Ron and I really went through the nitty gritty of the plan. Said logistical nightmare. Sure, it's good that they got, you know, it, it was a lot to digest like at first and they have all the plan. It's good that they got that and there's some groundwork there. But like you had said, the flights back, uh, European players, can, the Canadian law, um, logistical nightmare. Um, there's still a lot to work out before this can actually happen. So I'm um, going to be interesting to see uh, how that all works out. And I'm sure we'll get some uh, interesting stories uh, on how these players are getting back and uh, assimilated back with the team environment. So, um, well, all right, let's move on. Uh, one player that uh, was of discussion in our last episode of possible return, uh, possibly could be out, was Calvin DeHaan, defenseman. Uh, if you remember, mid-December, uh, he had gotten hit in the boards when the Blackhawks were playing at Vegas, um, had shoulder surgery, and was expected to be out six to eight months. Uh, he hit the ice this week, Patrick. There's a video uh, up in Canada. He's from right around uh, Ottawa, Ontario. So um, he was skating with uh, J, uh, JG Pedro and uh, Cody Cece uh, up there, both Ottawa natives as well. Um, if they, you know, it's from what it's sounding like and from all the reports that I've read from NBC Sports Chicago and uh, Ben Pope over at the Sun Times, it's seeming like Calvin DeHaan will be good to go for the series whenever it happens. Yeah, which is huge. Uh, you know, to add another one, uh, Pat Boyle was on uh, Sports Talk Radio the other day, and he he actually sounded pretty confident that Calvin DeHaan would be back. Um, he thought, you know, he was talking more 
uh, maybe Andrew Shaw, that's the one that's more up in the air, but he mm-hmm. sounded confident that Calvin DeHaan would be back, which is huge, especially against Edmonton. Like, you have to have these defensemen who can, because if you can have a shutdown pair, let's say let's say they go, you want to call it nuclear, and you throw DeHaan with Duncan Keith, and they're just on the ice every second Connor McDavid's on the ice. I mean, if, if you can have a legit shutdown pair, and you hold that line at par, I would think that would make the Hawks a favorite in the series. I mean, Edmonton is a one-line team, and you, you see often one-line teams do not survive in the playoffs. Why do you think the 2017 Hawks got swept by uh, Nashville? They were a one-line team. Now, that line was phenomenal, and everyone's like, no one can stop this line. Well, Nashville stopped it, and the Hawks couldn't do diddly squat. So if the Hawks can shut down Edmonton's line, Edmonton's in trouble because guess what? If you look around, if you— if you take McDavid and Drysaddle away, now I, that's not fair to say because you really can't take them away. But let's say, <laughs> let's say you, that's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah. I neutralize them. Yeah, neutralize them a little bit. The Hawks are a better team than Edmonton. They, they, Edmonton just happens to have potentially the two best players in the league currently. If you can just keep them at bay a little bit, the Hawks are better. They have better goaltending. Uh, I know the Hawks' defense isn't very good. Edmonton's is worse. Um, so you. The Hawks actually have a little bit more depth. They have more. They have quite a bit of experience on this team. I mean, you still have a good group of players who have won two or three Stanley Cups. So, you know, I would kind of like their chances, but it kind of starts with Calvin DeHaan. I don't. If Calvin DeHaan for some reason can't play in the series, then I really start to not like their chances as much because who the hell is defending this this top line? Is it, it's Duncan Keith and Connor Murphy? Yeah. So it's those two, and then you go, then the rest of your four defensemen are just blech, you know? So you would like to have either DeHaan with Keith, and then Murphy can be on the second pair, or vice versa, and at least you have, you know, two, at least two defenseman pairs who could play. So, but yeah, that's huge. That's really big, because that was something that I kind of thought of when I seen this. I'm like, well, would DeHaan be back? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's not something you want to rush for, something you don't like how good of a chance the Hawks really even have in these playoffs. But it sounds like they're kind of expecting them, which is great. That's huge. Yeah. So I had a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, I was going to say, yeah, sure. You can go nuclear with Keith and DeHaan. I could also see a pair of Murphy and DeHaan. If you want to get the alternating shots there, um, there's one note there. Uh, another uh, fact that Ron always likes to point out, uh, you know, he's, he's a huge Calvin Hahn fan. We are as well, but you know, no one bigger than Ron. Um, he always likes to point out that even with the limited time that the played this year, he was the plus minus leader on the Blackhawks still, uh, at the end of the, you know, stats as they accumulate at the end of the regular season. So, um, another thing too, is a big point that Ron and I discussed when we were doing our way too early preview is the Edmonton power play best in the league. I believe it's almost 29% that they convert at, um, and obviously a lot of that driven by McDavid and Dreisaitl. Well, the Hawks' penalty kill, for once, in first time in a while, was actually not too shabby. I believe they were 10th overall uh, in percentage-wise in the penalty kill department. If you get Kelvin DeHaan back, he's one of your best PK defensemen. Um, that So think about they did that, get it back up to 10th. I know a lot of that was driven by forwards like Ryan Carpenter, David Camp, Zach Smith. Um, you got Brandon Saad and Jonathan Taves as well play up front. But on the back end there, you add Kelvin DeHaan in the mix. They were able to stay at 10 without him for the majority of the season and get him back. That PK, no doubt, gets better. 
So that could be another factor in stopping McDavid dry cycle since they're so deadly on the power play. So those are my thoughts. Encouraging to see Calvin Hahn back on the ice. Um, we don't, obviously there's no official status report on him yet. And that probably won't come for probably another month. I would guess when they're getting closer to training camp, but um, encouraging to see nonetheless. So uh, moving on here, a uh, little bit of last news before we dive into the 2013 Western conference final. Um, yesterday, the Blackhawks signed checked forward Mate Halupa. Uh, spelled Chalupa, so everybody's going to go with that. Use the Taco Bell gift. It's going to be great. Um, definitely going to get some celebratory Chalupas when he scores his first goal. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Background on this kid, 21 years old, six foot two, 194-pound winger, uh, left-handed shot, usually plays right wing. Uh, it's a two-year deal that the Hawks signed him to, uh, 925K annual average value. Uh, that starts, though, during the 2020-2021 season. So he would not be eligible for this qualifying round playoff series uh, because the contract does not kick in until next year starts. Um, this past season, uh, playing over in Europe, he had seven goals, 17 assists, and 50 games. Um, and he's one of, you know, the Blackhawks have a knack for finding these guys overseas. Um, obviously, they first struck gold with Panarin. Uh, they got a decent player in Dominic Cahoon, signed him from uh, Germany, and then uh, most recently, Dominic Kubelik. I know he was acquired, the Kings had his rights. Blackhawks required him for something measly, like a fifth-round pick, um, and then obviously comes on and is the rookie uh, leading goal scorer um, in the league. But either way, I think it's a testament to the Hawks scouting department, uh, Comiskey, because um, they, they've been able to find these players that others look over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, my first thought with this was, you know, Danny Wirtz's first move as a interim team president was uh, signing the guy with the Taco Bell last name so he can sell some more jerseys over there at West Madison. But, you know, <laughs> these things, these things with uh, with the Hawks, yeah, they're, they're big over in Europe, man. Uh, this is something that like Detroit used to do big time and like no one else was doing it where Detroit's team would be like all Europeans when they were winning all those cups before the salary cap. But, you know, the Hawks have gotten pretty good at it. Um, talk about prying Kubelik away from the Kings. I don't know what the hell is going on in L.A., but God, if they just decimated their team beyond belief, you think Stan Bowman's bad. I don't know what the hell they're doing in L.A. But, you know, it's it's another it's a low risk, you know, kind of high reward potential thing. You know, it's just a entry level deal. These things always are. Um Throw him out there, see what he's got. And if he doesn't have it, well, then, you know, he goes to Rockford. So it's we'll see. He's got a, some decent size on him there at 6'2". Um, you can maybe potentially see him anywhere in the lineup. You know, you just never know. It's hard to comment on a guy when you really haven't seen him play. I haven't seen too much on him. But, you know, like you said, it's it just has the potential to reward out. And if it doesn't, then it's not really a big deal. Yeah, for sure. I had a couple thoughts on this. Um, one, I like that this is a two-year deal because if he is dynamite, you still have him for that you know team-friendly deal um, in that second season. Unlike Dominic Kubelik's situation right now, um, it's the production has been great, but now that is also going to drive his price up big time. And he was only a one-year deal, so he's a restricted free agent that you got to throw in the mix here when you're talking about other guys that are RFA's this off-season. Um, in Dylan Strom, obviously that has always been the big concern, but I think Kubelik 
quietly snuck up behind him in that. And, you know, who's going to get some big money here from the Hawks. And then you also got some role players like Drake Kajula, um, Slater Cuckoo, you know, you know, he's kind of serviceable at times. So, you know, what do you give him if he's going to come back? Um, and then obviously you have your goalie situation with the financials here. So um, I like that Halupa was signed to a two-year deal instead of just one. So, um, you know, that could backfire if he's, you know, not always cracked up to be, or he ends up being, uh, you know, back to Europe. Uh, sooner rather than later but um, at the same time I think the the, the highlights that I've seen uh, I mean we got to see him in uh, North American action here but um, from what I've seen uh, he seems pretty solid on his skates uh, seems like he'd be able to hold his own transition over here maybe not the same impact as a Kubelik type but um, if you can get a good third line player out of him I think that's a decent deal there um, my other thought, last thought before we move into this LA series, is he's got a sweet beard. So, I mean, power of the facial hair in Chicago, man. Uh, yeah, we talked about it with coaches, you know, Jeremy Colladin, you know, growing out the mustache, the other uh, the picture that he had uh, while we were still in lockdown. Um, and, you know, beards are cool and tough, Patrick. So the, I'm glad that he has a sweet beard. Right. Um, All right. uh, Now let's move on. Hawks rewind Um, as promised a recap of every series here this time. Western Conference final 2013. Blackhawks dispatched the Kings in five games. We'll go through it. Um, game one was a 2-1 win. Uh, Sharp and Haas had goals in that one. Game two, a 4-2 win. Uh, Seabrook, Shaw, Bickle, Hanzus goals. Uh, that was the one where Crow was intervening uh, in the scrum to defend Taves. That was always a you know, good highlight to go back and watch. Game three was a 3-1 loss. And in that one, Keith was uh, ejected for high-sticking uh, Carter, and then he was just suspended a game. Um, Bickle had the only goal for the Hawks in that 3-1 loss of Game 3. Game 4 was a 3-2 win. Bickle, Kane, and Hosa goals. Uh, Kane finally getting on the score sheet was the big thing there. Hosa had the arrow celly, which is awesome. Uh, I always love that highlight. And Brookbank filled in for Keith. Uh, it just shows you how valuable Duncan Keith is. Brookbank, in only 6.50 time on ice, was minus 2. Um, game five was a two overtime affair. Blackhawks won four to three. Uh, the Kane hat trick, man, he got hot when they needed it. Um, Keith was back in. He scored an early goal from behind the blue line. That's always a funny highlight to go back and watch too. And Crow made 33 saves on 36 shots. Um, obviously heartbreaker from Kane in uh, the celebration off the feed from uh, Taves in o- double overtime of that one. So that's the rundown of the series, Patrick. Um, were you at any of these games? And if not, if you were, uh, give us some atmosphere of what it was like there at the UC. And uh, if not, just any memories, uh, known that stand out, uh, top performers, whatever. Yeah, uh, so I, I was at game one. I remember that one. Um I almost feel like it was like an afternoon weekend game. I could be wrong on that though, but you know, it, it was, it, it just, the, you know, your typical, uh, your typical Blackhawks playoff atmosphere that is starting. The memories are starting to fade a little bit. <laughs> like you're, you start, I'm starting to forget like what it was for the uh, United center to shake a little bit. So I'd, I'd like to get some of that back soon, but you know, it, it's always great. Um, I actually think that was one of the, one of the last Hawks playoff games that I went to, because I didn't, I don't think I went to any in uh, 2015. I might have went to a couple in 2014, but yeah, I remember that was like one of the last ones. But that this series was for a five game series. It was probably a little closer than it should have been, or it was a little closer than you know a four one defeat looks. Uh, 
you look at that game two, I think game two was one hell of a game. You know, the Hawks just kind of jumped all over him. Uh, Colin Frazier, the former Hawk, he kind of started that scrum. Uh, there where Crawford jumped in because he just kind of came in and took someone to the ice and then Taze intervened, tried to break it up. And then someone grabbed Taze and then Crawford grabs him. And then he kind of got quick skating down the ice a little bit, shaking the gloves. <laughs> yeah. And then they kind of came face to face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another thing of that scrum, too, that was, you know, closer to the net with Taves and Frazier. But um, Roosevelt and Clifford, they were really going at it and wrestling on yeah. the ice a little bit like uh, further up uh, ahead of the circles. Yeah. And then, you know, the game three, like you said, they they never won game threes ever. You could just count it out. Uh, then Keith just I mean, we don't you don't like to call Keith dirty. But, man, that that was a that was a tough look for him hitting Carter in the stick in the face with a stick. He kind of said <laughs> afterwards that he was like, oh, no, I meant to hit him, but I didn't mean to hit him in the face. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even Jeff Carter kind of played it off. And he, you know, he said, you know, it is what it is. I obviously don't think he meant to get me there. Um, that game four, I think that game four was one of the more impressive games the Hawks had uh, that year with Duncan Keith out. They just kind of willed their way to win in that one. Like they should not. I remember that game. They should not have won that game. Uh, LA was just coming. You could tell they were really missing Keith. Sheldon Brookbank, I will always remember this. He was fucking terrible in that game. There's a reason he only had 650 and was a negative two. I remember that that drunk Patrick Kane account on Twitter had had the hashtag going things more you or things more useful than Sheldon Brookbank and people were just naming all these like completely useless things. It's pretty funny in that one. Uh, he was he was fucking brutal. Uh, you look at and then game five. Game five, you know, just. I think it produced one of the most iconic moments through all these Blackhawk things with the uh, the Kane hat trick in overtime, the great celebration and everything. Um, it was it was a quick series, but it was it was a phenomenal series, and you know it just kind of set the stage too for that the 2014 series that was even better, result worse, but the play, the seven games overtime all that was just great these two teams were just at at their heights at this time la was kind of injured this year but you know it was these were for 2013 and 2014 these were the two best teams in hockey and watching them go at it was phenomenal yeah uh, a lot of great memories from this series even though this one was only five games um, you know, you still get some drama in there. Um, obviously some of the ones that I remember the, the crow intervening and that, uh, you know, kind of video where quick kind of skates up and then X off, uh, at center ice. That, that's always memorable. Um, and game four of this one, um, you know, you said the Hawks kind of willed their way to win. Um, it, it seemed like, you know, puck luck was in their favor there. I love the Hosa goal and obviously the celebration where he does the arrow, which is cool because Hosa is, you know, the fairly, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's not a showboater. Uh, everyone knows nah, that. Yeah, he's just a humble, he's, a hum, he's, he's a humble guy, but, you know, he, he saw that. First of all, Jalmerson made a great flip pass up to Hanzus uh, right in the center of the ice. Hanzus weaves his way in, and Hosa gets out on the wing uh, behind him. And Hanzus perfectly, and this he's doing all this with a fucking broken wrist, too. Um, he, he weaves perfectly, keeps the defender with him, and then puts it over to Hosa on a silver platter, and Hosa just one-timed it. And you could tell he was proud of that shot, and that's why he did that celebration. So I always love seeing that, seeing a little bit of uh, swagger from Marion Hosa there in the most Marion Hosa way possible. Um, that, that was excellent to see. And then that game five, I remember I was watching it um, at a friend's house, 
And um, we, we were about to go um, over to another friend's house who uh, had had a pool and a hot tub for some uh, late night swimming action. But uh, so we was watching it at my first friend's house. And then it, it was going on. We thought the Hawks were going to win. We we're like, okay, yeah, we'll go right after. Richard scores like 10 seconds left that redirect out in front of the net. I will give him credit. That was extremely pretty. They had a set play from the draw uh, on that right circle, and they executed it perfectly. But after that, then, we watched that first overtime at um, my one friend's house. Said, okay, the Hawks are going to win it in this one. Nope, goes. No, uh, you know, uh, no decision at that point. So we rush over back to my house so I could grab my shit, my swim trunks and all that. And then um, we turn it on, we're watching it. And then I just remember jumping up and down in my living room um, when Kane, you know, scored off of that beautiful feed from Taves on the one-timer, the heartbreaker celebration, all of that. Uh, I knew we were going to the cup final, uh, made that night a little bit sweeter, a little bit drunker uh, over in the pool. So um, great memories, great memories from the summer of 2013. So um, that that's all I've got on that one. Um, notable performances from that series. Bickle led the way, seven points uh, for the Hawks in that one. Um, Kane finally heated up. Uh, you know, it took him a while, and he, I believe he only ended up having two points points in the or excuse me obviously before that before that game uh five i believe he only had two points in the series uh one goal and one assist um and that one goal though it was going to go in anyway but he made sure got in game four got behind if you remember kind of dove across yes. the crease tapped stole it, it from bickle a little bit yeah stole it from bickle a little bit but he made sure it went in and that kind of gave him a rush of confidence though because we saw uh, the performance the hat trick performance in game five um, so that was good to see Kane get going uh, after that. It's amazing how just that little bit of a spark, um, it, you know, can ignite uh, such an elite talent like him. And then uh, Crow overall, I think this gets overlooked because everyone wants to talk about the goals, the highlights. Crow had a 927 save percentage in that. And I, I was going back and looking at the series kind of recap stats of this one. You know, Jonathan Quick, for as great as, you know, he he was during that time period, in this one, the Hawks got to him. He only had an 897, so a sub-9 uh, save percentage in the series for Jonathan Quick. I think that's just a testament to the Blackhawks offense there. Um, the unbelievable series. It was great to relive it on uh, Hawks Rewind on NBC Sports Chicago. And uh, the Stanley Cup final uh, starts with the marathon today. Um, today being Saturday, May 30th, if you're listening to this. Uh, before it starts, uh, going to be a fun one. We're going to get some I Love Shin Pads coming up. Um, and hopefully we can get all back together and hopefully have a full crew to discuss uh, the 2013 Cup final win. Um, Patrick? Yeah, it was... Yeah, this... I love that you mentioned how good Crow was. Like, if through three rounds of that uh, playoff, he was 100% the Conn Smythe winner. Uh, he probably still should have won it anyways. But, you know, Kane just ended up being so damn good in that uh, in the cup final. And Crawford, that was his weaker round of the four. It just kind of mm-hmm. went to Kane. But through three, man, Crawford carried them. They they would have lost in five to Detroit if it wasn't for Crawford. Yes. He definitely wouldn't have won that series. He was great in this one. So, you know, he kept them alive. And it, it's still annoying that this guy just doesn't get the respect from everyone. People still think that he's not very good, and he was just a testament to how good this team. Like, shut up, you're an, you're an idiot. Like the Hawks don't win. They don't win in 2013 without him. They're out in the second round. So you just the people's stupidity just never fails to amaze me. But you know, there's <laughs> yeah. just he was so good, and I you know I like that you come back. Uh, with, you just have all these memories when you go back and watch these games. Where'd you watch it? Were you at the game? Who were you watching it with? And it's kind of like this testament. I love this rewind, man, because it, it brings back the memories. 
And it just it kind of reminds you how when these playoff series were going on, it just kind of consumed your life. Like you made your plans around when the Hawks were playing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you would people would ask you to do stuff and be like, no, the, the Hawks are on tonight. I can do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's the off day. But no, I'm not doing it tonight. I remember, you know, during the uh, I, I think the 15th. No, no, this cup run. 13 I'm working at the I'm working at a grocery store one of my buddies works there too and he was a bigger Bulls fan he's a big Bulls fan I was a big Hawks fan I was still a Bulls fan at the time but like if I'm choosing between the Hawks and the Bulls it was always the Hawks and we were kind of for a while there in those through those playoffs you know the Bulls and the Hawks were playing on opposite nights so we would just kind of always cover each other like if the Bulls were on and he was scheduled I would take a shift if the Hawks were on and I was scheduled he would take my shift it was just you know you planned your life around these things and you kind of lived and died by it it affected your mood it affected everything you know it was and you miss that because we haven't had that in so long and but it was great it was great in all those moments and I remember I remember uh during that during well, the 2014 run in L.A. when they went into that game six and they had to win, they were facing elimination. And I think Kane scored at the very end of the game. I'm kind of on my phone at work trying to watch it. My boss was a huge Hawks fan, and he's basically sitting there encouraging me to watch it on my phone because <laughs> he, was, he was an older guy and he didn't have that capability on his phone. He's like, he's like, you yeah, know, keep me updated. What's the score? What's the score? What's the score? <laughs> I'm like, so he like he obviously he didn't give a shit. He just he just wanted to know what was going on with the game. So it's just these things were so awesome and it brings back all these memories watching these rewinds yeah absolutely patrick uh great memories uh more to come after you know we'll be talking about stanley cup winner uh next time we get back and record a four feathers episode um speaking of memories um i wanted to point one out because today is the anniversary of it and we don't know uh, right now uh i would imagine i hope at least that nbc sports chicago continues and gets the 2015 one in uh, i'd kind of feel uh, a little bit cut off too soon if they stop with 2013, especially since we know July 10th uh, is going to be the earliest start date for training camps. Uh, They have plenty of time to do it, so I hope they do. Um, I know they probably got to acquire rights and get everything squared away logistically, but um, from the 2015 run today, May 30th, the anniversary of the Blackhawks defeating the Anaheim Ducks in Game 7 of the 2015 Western Conference Final. Um, And this one is, uh, you know, obviously the 2014 series against the Kings, even though it wasn't the outcome that we wanted. uh, That was probably, you know, it was named the best series, playoff series of the decade um, by the NHL Awards. And um, this one, though, Patrick, you and I have always made the argument that this one is right up there as well. The series against the Ducks, it was a war back and forth. But I put out a tweet from Four Feathers, the account, earlier today, and I said that, uh, you know, it was the highlights of it. And I quote tweeted it, and I said, you know, Tave stepping up when it matters most. Ryan Kessler could never. So I just wanted to highlight that because that was, you know, Taves took over. He literally did jammed home that rebound, got a nice shot on a power play goal, put the Hawks up 2-0, um, and, and then Hosa and uh, I believe Saad uh, helping out after that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that game gets talked about enough. That of of every game the Hawks ever played, that might have been the most impressive beat of hockey that they ever did. They went into Anaheim, into their building in Game Seven and whooped their ass. The yes, score ended up the score ended up looking a little bit close. It was 5-3 final. But the Hawks went in there and just whooped them down. I believe they were up 4-0 at one point. Yeah, they were. It was 4 nothing at one time. Uh they kind of rallied a little bit, made it 4-2, and then uh Seabrook threw one in on the power play and at that point it was pretty much over. But man, they just went in there and they dominated them and it was kind of awesome, too, because there was a ton of Hawks fans at that game in Anaheim, too. By the end of it, like, the 
pretty much all the Ducks fans had left. You can just see red in the arena. They got the people had the Hawks flags up, got the let's go Hawks chant going. That was some of the most just such an impressive beat, especially because early on in that series, Anaheim looked like they were the better team. They were kind of bullying the Hawks a little bit. The Hawks were just scraping their way to wins when they won in triple overtime when they won in overtime again in game four, you know, they looked, they kind of looked like they were a little overwhelmed, but then like they always did game five rolls around and five, six and seven, you could kind of always just count on the Hawks winning those games. They just, they found an extra level. Tays kind of broke Frederick Anderson in game five with <laughs> yes, those two did. late goals. And from that point on, Freddie Anderson was garbage and he still is. He like, I don't think he's ever recovered from it because he's still terrible in the playoffs <laughs> with Toronto. So like, it was just, Oh, that series was phenomenal. I do, I do think the NHL got it right by naming the 2014 Kings Hawks series as the best series because that one was. I think that's about some of the best hockey you'll ever see. Like yeah. those were those were two legit legit Stanley Cup teams. Like if the Hawks would have won that game seven, they absolutely would have beat the shit out of the Rangers. Like yeah, like the Kings did. I mean, I you'd feel a little sorry for the Rangers because they didn't have a shot in hell no matter who, no matter which way that series went. But, you know, this series was just awesome, and it was it was just one of those things. Like, give Anaheim credit. That That's a real great team that just never got a, never found its way to the cup final, and the Hawks are the reason they didn't. Because if Anaheim wins that series, you know, they might, ha- they might have a banner to talk about because that was a really good team. But, like, and you had that quote, too, where I think it was Kessler said, you oh, know, yeah. no, no human can withstand that many hits. Well, turns out they could. <laughs> it turns out they could because, you know, eventually you have to play hockey. You can try and beat people around all you want. But at the end of the day, you got to put the puck in the net. And, you know, the Hawks, the Hawks just always find ways to do that. And uh, old Ryan Kessler didn't. And, you know, I I could understand why Ryan Kessler has some angst towards the Blackhawks and anyone on that team because they've pretty much just, you know, put stops to him throughout his career. They stopped him in Anaheim. They stopped him. In 2009 in Vancouver, oops, 2010 again in Vancouver, you know, this guy is just getting his heart eaten out by the Blackhawks his whole career. And, you know, he's he's never going to get the hoist cup. Yeah, uh, man, good memories, good times. Um, Once again, really hope that the uh, 2015 uh, playoff run becomes a Hawks rewind uh, broadcast so we can come back and do all these after each round um, of those playoffs, because that would uh, include the, you know, Nashville series where Scott Darling had to come in uh, just unbelievable runs here by the Blackhawks. So hopefully we're back talking about those um, and NBC sports Chicago is able to line that up, but that'll do it for this episode of four feathers. Uh, We got you some news, got you some updates on the return to play plan. uh, That new signing Halupa Chalupa, all around for everybody here and we got you the uh 2013 uh western conference final recap here so make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your chicago sports literature and podcasting needs four feathers podcast is the official blackhawks coverage unit for ontapsportsnet.com patrick final thought before we sign off i you know i just if they if this playoff happens i we have a lot of time to prepare ourselves for it, and I'm sure right now I'm a little uh, bullish on it. But I think by the time it gets there, I'm going to be full-blown and think the Hawks are going to win the Cup. I'll talk myself into that. So can't wait.
Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. Um, last thought is, you know, it's a long shot. Uh, but if you're a big better guy, I am not myself. So don't take my gambling advice too seriously. But uh, like you put out from the Four Feathers account, Patrick, um, if you have those ridiculous odds on something, you're going to take it because it was a line from the office. You know, if John Mellencamp ever wins uh, uh, a <laughs> reward, I'm going to be uh, you know, a Grammy. I'm going to be a rich man. So um, there you go. If you're a better man, you want to, you know, have been betting on sports for a while. How uh, in your Got a feeling delicious go and throw it on the hawks why not all right that'll do it patrick let's close it out how we always do let's go hawks let's go hawks <laughs>